Hello, and welcome to the CFA UK podcast series on climate change. My name is John Tehan, and I am a portfolio manager with Red Wheel. No, I haven't changed company. RWC Partners has changed name. We are now Red Wheel. In these CFA UK podcasts, we hope to shed light on issues facing portfolio managers, analysts, and others within the financial industry as we face the challenge of climate change. In this episode, I'm going to focus on climate change through the eyes of an impact investor. I am joined by Maria Largi-Smith of the CDC Group. CDC is a development finance institution which is wholly owned by the UK government. CDC's mission is to help solve the biggest global development challenges by investing patient, flexible capital to support private sector growth and innovation. CDC operates on the principle of financial sustainability in pursuit of impact. It is the world's first impact investor with over 70 years of experience of supporting the sustainable long-term growth of businesses in Africa and South Asia. Maria has incredible experience in the impact sector with 10 years at CDC. She is the head of the financial institution sector team and is responsible for the equity financial institutions portfolio across Africa and Asia. Prior to joining CDC, Maria worked in the microfinance sector as both Agora Microfinance Partners and Opportunity International. Before that, Maria worked at JP Morgan in both London and New York, where she was responsible for creating investment solutions for asset management clients. Maria, thank you for taking the time to share your experience with us. May I start by asking about CDC and how it became an impact investor? What was the motivation of the government in setting it up? Thanks, John, and thanks very much for inviting me to, to the podcast today. So CDC is the world's first development finance institution, which I guess is synonymous with impact investing. We were established in 1948, and we're part of the UK's offer to help developing countries meet their financing needs for infrastructure and for, for enterprise. So as an example, one of our earliest investments in 1949 was to establish Zambia's first cement works, which was Chilonga Cement, which provided most of the cement used to build the, the Kariba Dam. Original mission, it was quite simple. It was to do good without losing money. Uh, similarly, today, we invest with the same two objectives, to support business growth that can help lift people out of poverty and to make a financial return, which we then reinvest to achieve further impact in our core geographies, which, which are Africa and South Asia. Today, we have a team of over 460 people and 15 offices um, in a portfolio of over $7 billion. Fantastic. And so looking at your strategies, you change strategy every five years, and we just have had a, a new strategy launched um, last month. How does the, the five-year strategy define the investment focus of CDC? So we operate in, in five-year strategy periods, which are agreed by our shareholder, which is the, the FCDO. And this really helps us focus our efforts on where we want to make the most impact. So if you look at the last five years, CDC invested close to seven billion pounds, and we also mobilized a further two and a half billion pounds. And in doing that, we back businesses that employ over 900,000 people. We are about to embark on the 22 to 26 strategy. And 
And in that, we're aiming to invest one and a half to two billion pounds per annum over the investment period. Now, this new strategy really just builds on the mandate and the track record over the last period, but enables to go a little bit further and a little bit deeper, in particular in two areas. One is an increased focus on climate finance, which I know we'll talk about a little bit here today, including green infrastructure. And the second is new investments in digital transformation. I mean, in our market, using the digital infrastructure in order to do large scale or early stage venture capital is very important to the unique problems that face developing economies. And so this is going to be a big part of our strategy going forward. So that's interesting. So there's there's more, of an, uh, I guess, focus on, on climate change. Before we get there, because it's obviously the, the theme we have here is climate change, and I want to understand how that carries through. But just to step back and think about you as an impact investor, can you explain to us the, the capital toolkit that you have? How do you look at the different parts of, of the capital structure and, and the different ways you can contribute capital to these projects? Yeah. One of the advantages of CDC is that we do have a very wide range of financial tools in our capital toolkit. So we invest in a variety of different financial instruments. This includes equity, debt, within debt, that's project finance, corporate lending, trade finance, lending through financial institutions and intermediaries. Um, And we also invest through intermediated structures such as private equity funds. In fact, today we are still the largest LP in Africa. Um, And we more recently have a technical assistance facility that we can also um, provide support to our investees. So really investing across the capital structure, which allows us to be very flexible and meet the specific needs of our investees and in our markets. It's also worth noting that in addition to this, we have two distinct investment portfolios, what we call catalyst and growth. So through our growth portfolio, we inject patient long-term capital into businesses that have the potential to achieve sustainable growth, but also making a positive environmental, social, and economic impact. But our catalyst portfolio is more focused on shaping nascent markets and maybe less commercially proven business models that demonstrate significant potential to contribute more to inclusive and sustainable economies. So the catalyst investments are mandated to take on a higher level of risk than the growth portfolio because we think they bring on pioneering impact at a market level. But it also means that our catalyst investments require a higher impact hurdle, but a lower commercial hurdle return. Okay, so the, the catalyst portfolio is really about giving capital to areas that really would struggle to get any capital at all. And it's setting new ideas, I guess, off, if you like. That's exactly right. And and so your tolerance for losses in that portfolio must be much greater than across the rest of the portfolio. They are. Yeah. So if we if we look at, you know, how we look at financial returns, um, obviously, given we have this wide spectrum of financial products and portfolios that we invest across, we have to also look at each investment uniquely in terms of the type of financial return that we expect. And that's right. For for Catalyst, we have a, a lower hurdle. So overall, I guess the government is looking at the, the capital they've contributed given to their own CDC group. What overall return are they looking for? Firstly, CDC operates on the principle of financial sustainability in the pursuit of impact, right? This is very important to our DNA. And this principle is given a, let's say, practical application every five years through our investment policy, which is in line with our five-year strategy. Our current policy has two proposed performance measures. One is an aggregate impact score, and the other is an aggregate financial performance measure, which looks at you know sort of the weighted cumulative investment return across the portfolio, so across all of those products. 
gaps in, in portfolios that I alluded to. This is a low single digit number for the entire portfolio. But again, if you look at the returns that we would expect from an early stage high growth equity investment in a fintech company in India, you know, that would be much higher. Whereas, you know, if we looked at a catalyst debt deal in a market like, you know, Sierra Leone, we would expect a very different financial return. So we look at the aggregate of the entire portfolio. So basically, then the government is looking to keep the real value of the portfolio and they can recycle the capital into new projects. That's right. Looking at that, what's very interesting, I guess, is when you're operating in markets like you are, Maria, the, the challenges that you face when you're just looking at, at equity investments and you know the cost of equity. How do you see that when you're looking at such, I guess, frontier markets? Definitely, the way we look at something like cost of equity is very different than you would um, in in the developed markets. It, obviously, they're much higher. I mean, from an equity perspective, when we're looking at an individual investment opportunity and filtering the criteria, we're weighing quite a few things, right? We're weighing the country risk. We're weighing the business model. I mean, we will invest everything from early stage pre-profit businesses all the way to very large, stable businesses. And the risk and the return that we expect is correlated to all of these aspects. And then, of course, on top of that, we look at the impact. And so every single one of our investments we look at, we have the same focus in terms of what are the financial returns and risks that we're taking alongside what do we think is the potential for impact. And so we have, we have quite a few things to consider. It's not quite as simple as typing back into Bloomberg and coming up with it's that. <laughs> so obviously, that's the financial return, a very clear framework that the government wants to recycle their capital. They, you know, it's much more efficient in terms of long-term sustainability versus just granting money. But moving on to that impact side, so talk us through how you measure impact and and what the government is trying to see through that impact. Yeah, so every investment that we make, every investment that we bring to investment committee will receive an impact score. And similar to our financial return, our shareholder will look at this measured on an aggregate score of our portfolio. The impact score is measured on the sum of essentially three different elements. One is a productive score. And this measures the extent to which the investment addresses the biggest development needs and constraints to to economic growth. And there's a lot behind this, as as you can imagine. Um, We then have a sustainable score, uh, which measures the extent to which the investment contributes to a greener planet. And then we have an inclusive score, uh, which measures the extent to which the investment reaches poor and marginalized people. And so, you know, are we really getting to the excluded communities and populations? Now, you don't have to score, you know, high in every one of these categories, but in every investment even doesn't need to necessarily have a total score um, that's very high. But this is a way for us to measure across our portfolio that we're really making sure that capital is funneled into the impact themes that we've set out in our strategy. And obviously, this is a challenge that most impact investors have in terms of understanding how you measure that impact. So is this this is a, a scoring system you've developed internally or do you use some external benchmarks? This is something that we've created internally. And the framework that I just described is something new for the, the new five-year strategy. We've had a tool over the last decade that was a bit blunter, I would say. So like the rest of the industry, we've become a bit more sophisticated, really trying to get much deeper into understanding where the impact's coming from and also much more focused. And one thing we struggle with in the in, in the listed world is data. And I can only imagine that we have more data than might be available to you. So how do you how do you bridge that, that gap? It's a, it's a very good point. And you're, you're spot on that in our markets, access to information is is a challenge. I mean, different for us in that mostly, not always, but we're, we're very 
focused on sort of private investments. And so what we do is we're very upfront with investees before we go in um, and doing our due diligence and what we would expect from an information perspective. And that, you know, this is part of our whatever agreement or action plan uh, that we would have in place within our investees is the type of information that we would require in order to monitor impact over time. If they don't have the systems available to provide that information, sometimes we can help. We can help through, you know, our own people, consultants, even technical assistance. And, you know, obviously technology plays a big part in this. So, you know, what we can see today is, um, you know, is much better than where we were uh, when I started nine years ago. But this is something that um, is, is core to our investment thesis. So we have to make sure we can have access to the data. And so typically, how long is the, an investment in place and, and how do you exit and who, who is, I guess, the buyer at the end of that period? Varies depending on product um, in, in every investee, but we do take a longer term, more patient approach than, let's say, your typical private equity funds would, um, you know, five, seven, 10 years, depending on what the investment thesis is and, and how it plays out. Similarly, exit uh, depends on you know what the what the investment thesis is, but generally, what we really like to do is mobilize private capital, right? So, what CDC likes is to go in and um, help make a demonstration effect, and if we can exit to um, you know some sort of commercial players um, and show that you know we've made a sustainable business that can attract private capital from other sources, this is a good story. So, whether this is to private equity funds, whether this is through a listing, so that companies have access to the capital markets, or you know, two strategics um, coming in. I mean, these are exit theses that um, we, we hope for. Okay, and moving on to the climate change aspect, looking at the objectives of CDC from 2017 investment policy, they have changed quite a bit for, for the 2022 um, fiber policy in, in terms of climate. There's very specific language in the new policy about reducing emissions, about protecting the environment and adapting to climate change. What has been the motivating factor behind that or how has the policy changed quite quite markedly, if you like? Our last five-year strategy had an increasing focus on climate. And obviously, this is going to be the case going forward. So our five-year strategy now includes setting a target for 30% of new commitments over the period to climate finance. And this is across all of the sectors. I think we're really taking a two-prong approach. Uh, So one is to take responsibility for the climate impact of our current portfolio and pursue increased opportunities in climate sectors, but also to future-proof our dual mandate, which is around financial and development impact. So our new five-year strategy expands our climate remit, including setting a target for 30% over the investment period. Just to give the context of this, since 2017, our climate finance represented 20% of our overall commitments, but this was up 5% from 2016. So I say this because it's been an evolution that we are just continuing in the new strategy. And actually, just stepping back, what's interesting is that is that path that you've taken in developing it, because again, this is something on the commercial side in the asset management, management industry, we're obviously very aware of and and looking to develop. And one thing is exclusions. So how have exclusions played a role in that development? 
from an investment framework perspective, I mean, we first created a climate change policy back in 2014, which basically committed us to considering climate change in every investment that we made. Part of that, or in, in the same year, we also you know, had a coal policy in terms of exclusions. And then since then, we've also signed up to the IFC performance standard. So we've really, I mean, you know, while exclusion lists are, are part of our overall policy, integrating, looking at climate at every investment we make in a holistic way has has been really part of our DNA for the better part of a decade. Because what we obviously see is some exclusions, particularly in relation to coal in 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 portfolios, in listed equity portfolios, and there's a lot of attention on that. But we also recognize that in emerging markets and frontier markets, the power system is very reliant on coal. So that is an area that, that we're finding a difficult one to, to manage the, the balance between the just transition and obviously trying to get fossil fuels out of the out of the energy system. Do you have a particular view on that or how do you take that into account? No, absolutely. So I've been supporting a just transition, you know, for, for workers, women, communities is a, a huge part. In fact, it's one of a three-prong approach to our climate strategy, a huge focus for us going forward. And if you can imagine in some of our core markets like South Africa and India, this is a, you know, a, a massive issue, challenge, um, and something that we're putting a lot of energy to, you know, helping be a part of, of, of the solution in the way forward. In terms of CDC's approach to a just transition and what we can do practically in our portfolio, we've been focusing on you know, job creation, upskilling in new low carbon resilient sectors and trying to align you know, approaches on skills and leadership. I mean, these are things tangibly we can do within our portfolio, um, but at a higher level, you know, we're certainly trying to think through the issues for, for our core markets. And in those core markets, have you seen any pressure yet in terms of employment because of move away from, for example, coal or, or other fossil fuels? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in South Africa in particular, um, you know, you're seeing uh, quite a, quite a, f- a large impact on communities um, and, and on the sector. Um, I mean, this was part of the discussions we had at COP um, with with some of our um, partners in, in the region um, and a big focus for us. And then in terms of individual projects that would help with climate mitigation or climate warming mitigation, um, resilience or uh, uh, adaptation, how has that evolved? What kind of projects were you looking at and has that focus changed over time? Yeah, addressing vulnerability to climate shocks, uh, or I guess adaptation and resilience, is is sort of a second large focus of our climate strategy. So we're looking to increase resilience in our portfolio companies, you know, specifically on whether it's sectors or countries that are particularly vulnerable. I mean, one thing that we've done, obviously, investments in the space tend to be a bit earlier stage. And so one of the things that we've recently announced again at COP was a 200 million pound climate innovation facility, um, which will seed new innovations in this space. I mean, one example, we, we do have a, a VC uh, program that we've we've recently um, started. And within that portfolio, we've recently invested in a company called Cropin, which is an ag tech company that basically uses data to help far- farmers build resilience to climate risks. It helps monitor crop health and weather patterns. Um, so this is one example of things that we've done recently in adaptation and resilience. But I think also a a sign of things to come in terms of new technologies that hopefully we will promote through through this um, innovation facility. Also, when we think about adaptation and resilience, um, 
one of the things that's top on our mind is around gender because women tend to be the most vulnerable in our communities and when it comes to climate as well. So again, at COP um, with some of our partners, we announced um, a gender smart climate toolkit, um, which is you know for investors to help think through some of these issues that are specific to women in, in, in our markets. And back to listed equities, a lot of our focus is on, on, on the mitigation of climate warming and focus on reducing fossil fuels and, and, and emissions, much less on adaptation and resilience. So that's very interesting. So both in, on, on the crop yield there you, you, you mentioned and also on, on the impact on, on, on gender issues. Is it, can you give us more color on on these kind of adaptation and resilience and and, and bring it to life for us? If you like? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I think about financial service, my sector, which is which is financial services, and you look at our portfolio and you think about um, what the vulnerabilities are. I mean, you know, we're looking at things like parametric insurance, whether in the crop insurance. I mean, not just for the agricultural side of our portfolio, but um, for all of our financial financial intermediaries and, you know, how can we provide um, some sort of insurance or reduction of risk across our portfolio um, to, to some of, you know, these, these weather patterns and issues that we're seeing. And, and then looking at climate mitigation, what kind of projects have you supported and what kind of projects are you looking to support? I think one of the most significant investments we've made on the climate side um, was back in 2018 when we set up IANA Renewable Power, which is an independent solar and wind generation company um, that develops green energy infrastructure in India um, and also neighboring countries in South Asia. Um, and you know, the objectives of IANA um, was re to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, um, to support climate change mitigation, uh, to create economic opportunities through the actual growth of the company, um, but also to improve access to affordable and reliable clean electricity. Um, so this is, I think, one of the most, um, you know, a, a very significant um, and scalable platform that CDC has helped uh, set up in, in India. Can you give us a sense of, you know, we, we talk a lot about a just transition and it's easy for people that are sitting in developed markets to talk about this and some of the pushback that we do get about pushing for reductions in, in, in emissions is that the impact is there on, on emerging markets. But from, from somebody in the emerging markets and the viewpoint from there, what is their thinking? Are they are they looking for this whole transition to be slowed or is there, a, the, the, on the other side, the recognition of climate change having such a great impact that actually, no, we have to, we have to move faster. What do you feel on the ground in that perspective? I think there's absolute recognition that there needs to be solutions for this. I mean, you know, I think it's been an evolution, um, but in recent years on the ground, people, you know, are living and breathing some of the consequences of what's happening um, from a climate change perspective. Um, and people are becoming increasingly aware of the need um, to evolve and adapt and find solutions. So, no, I, I think there is recognition. Um, there is a commitment to make changes. Um, you know, there, there needs to be support, I think, from investors like CDC that can provide these different types of not just financial tools, um, but also non-financial support um, and expertise in order to help them through the journey. And if you think about the hardest things to crack here in, in, in the different issues, where, where are the greatest challenges you have? I'm mean, thinking about this through the lens of my portfolio. And when I think about what we're trying to do in the space, it's, it's not that different, but for different reasons from, I guess, the challenges that 
you face on the listed side, but it's around um, monitoring, it's around access to information, um, it's around having the processes and systems um, in order to, um, you know, be able to implement um, some of these changes and strategies. Um, you know, I, I, from a financial services perspective, I think this is one of the, the biggest challenges. You know, I think high, bigger picture, I, I think access to um, flexible capital, um, you know, the right types of capital um, is also a big challenge. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons CDC has designed its strategy the way that we have, um, which is around trying to make sure that we have the right products, tenure, um, and the, the appropriate financial instruments to address the specific needs related to, um, you know, this uh, the, the climate change issues in terms of the, the, the projects that you're specifically working on and, and this you know financial institution side of it what what are you doing with financial institutions or how give us give us a flavor for 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 the, an actual investment that you've made yeah so in financial services i mean the the one um investment in our portfolio uh where products are specific to climate um is an investment that we have in mcopa um which sells, um, uh, amongst other things, uh, sells home solar devices, off-grid uh, devices in, in East Africa. Um, it's a pay-as-you-go model, so that's where the financial services element comes in. Um, but, you know, some of the end products um, are home solar devices. Um, but on a bigger picture through, you know, our financial intermediaries, we are currently exploring in line with the new five-year strategy, how we can do more green uh, directed lending, so how we can use our financial intermediaries in order to support, um, you know, green assets um, and help build out um, uh, green pipelines in, in a variety of sectors. Um, as I said, we're also looking at high level on the insurance side. So what can we do to help um, provide whether, um, you know, it's protection to agri the agricultural sector within financial services, or potentially look at things like weather index, crop insurance, parametrics, um, but how we can reduce vulnerabilities and shocks to the system um, within our portfolio and, and for our investees. So some those are um, some of the things we're currently looking at. From a practical perspective, when you're investing in frontier markets, you know, Issues like currency, non-convertibility, et cetera. How do you how do you manage those issues? Yeah. So, on uh, I mean, on the equity side, um, you know, we we factor in, we try our best to factor in, um, you know, currency risks and um, an impact on our returns. Um, on the debt side, um, at the moment, we largely provide hard currency um, to our investees, but. Um, you know, this is an ongoing challenge because, as you can imagine, most of our investees are looking for local currencies. And so it is sort of top of mind in terms of what we can do to help um, resolve the local currency issues that we see within our markets. And we have done some innovative things. I mean, 
um, in the off-grid solar space, uh, we created a depth facility um, that um, you know is does provide. And this was from our catalyst strategy, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast. But that can provide local uh, working capital debt financing to off-grid um, off-grid uh, companies and intermediaries in in Africa. You know, we're always trying to be creative about is how can we help resolve these these issues for our investees. I guess we've seen what's happening in Turkey with inflation rates running there. And you go back to the, the overall return objective of the fund if it's keeping your the, the real value of money if you have if you have a very high inflation rate in, in a local market, trying to do that is, is near impossible. I guess the other thing is getting the capital back out. So after a period of time where you've come to the end of that investment horizon and you see an exit how easy is it to get the money back out of out of those individual markets to move it elsewhere? So, so we do by and large invest in in hard currency with the with a few exceptions, and so that's why you know really having good relationships um, with the regulators is something that's very important to you know our able our our ability to be able to make investments in these markets and you know having local teams having relationships with the regulators understanding what that risk really is um you know all of that is part of our um you know part of our process really so Marie, given given the i guess the, the risks around you know, as we just talked about the inflation issue trying to keep the real value of money so how important is diversification in the portfolio it's uh, yeah, it's very important. I mean, we we have a team uh, now set up on asset allocation um, that that's looking at our portfolio, and, and obviously, you know, we have a risk team that monitors this quite closely in terms of um, you know the risk ratings that we give to particular countries, and you know what CDC's exposure is, and we have limits, um, you know, in in terms of allocation that we can have to certain countries uh, uh, accordingly. Um, you know, so we're we're certainly watching that. Um, you know. I think the approach that we've taken is we have certain markets, um, you call them kind of powerhouse markets, where we think, um, you know, are the right mix in terms of scalability, the need for impact, um, but also the right risk uh, risk profile for us to be able to do more on the direct side. Um, you know, if you look at some of the riskier, more fragile markets that are in our our geographical mandate, um, we tend to use more intermediated structures um, for for those markets in order to, um, you know, mitigate our risk. So, you know, our large direct equity and debt investments um, will be seen in markets, um, you know, like India, Kenya, um, you know, even even South Africa, um, whereas Egypt, et cetera, um, you know, where if you look at the work that we've um, been able to do in, let's say, markets like Nepal or Sierra Leone, um, often this will either be through intermediaries, financial intermediaries or funds. Um, so that way, you know, we're, we're sort of reducing reducing our risk. What do you think is going to take to really get the commercial sector involved? How do we really mobilize that commercial capital? Well, I think you have to be able to show the commercial attractiveness of this, right? Um, I mean, that's always, uh, I mean, and, and this is why I think CDC having embedded, you know, we, we have an impact focus, but the fact that, 
you know, really embedded in our DNA is this principle of financial sustainability. This is so important to us, right? Um, because I think in order to really mobilize private capital into the space, you have to be able to show um, that it's it's commercially sustainable um, is, is the first thing. Um, and, you know, in, in addition to that, I think, you know, showing... Uh, showing over time um, the ease of doing investments in this space, um, you know, through, um, you know, exits and information. I guess located from distance, you, you would think, well, first, as we talked about the issues around currency and, and getting your capital back out of these markets, we talk about liquidity, but also in the return side, where there are, you know, who, who are the allocators? And we think of pension funds, endowments, they all have return requirements that are probably in excess of what the real return of the, the, the UK government is willing to accept. How do we how do we get over those hurdles where that return requirements uh, and fiduciary duty, if you like, are, are barriers to, to more significant capital allocation? Yeah, well, I guess that's in a way where our, uh, our spectrum of financial returns is helpful, right? Because I do think that, you know, in the, in the, private equity space of what we do, um, you know, we certainly have and, and strive to achieve, uh, you know, commercial returns that attract, you know, the blue chip private equity funds. And we are starting to see, you know, big names write checks in Africa, India, you know, has, has enjoyed, um, you know, commercial investors, um, or has have sort of demanded commercial investors' attention for for a long time, but even in Africa, we are now starting to see, especially in you know tech and fintech, um, you know blue chip names coming in. Um, this is so encouraging for us, right? Um, I mean, and I think you know, sure, there are aspects of what we do that um, you know probably won't for a very long time be attracting more private investors, endowments, you know, et cetera. Um, but I think there are aspects of it um, where, you know, we are starting to see that mobilization and that interest. And you said earlier on about how you know, you, you've gone from 5% allocation to 20% and now looking forward is 30% allocation to, to climate change projects. Have you seen from the commercial sector a similar move and how, you know, how much demand is there at the at, at your exit point from commercial firms, yeah, I think similar to the overall impact sector, um, you know, there's an increasing dialogue uh, on climate, which is great. Um, and you know, I think you'd agree it's very quickly become top of the agenda. Um, you know, for a lot of the commercial investors that we see or, or we co-invest, which is great. I think in terms of actually putting dollars, um, you know, to to that conversation has been slower. I mean, you know, our peers, and when I say peers, I mean the other multilaterals and DFIs, you know, there is alignment, um, in, you know, in terms of a commitment to climate. And we're seeing, you know, similar actions uh, from from our community, let's say the, the DFI community. You are seeing an increasing amount of climate funds um, come up through you know, some of the large private equity players and some of the large commercial private capital providers, which is great to see. And some of these are, are very large numbers, but it's a journey. Maria, in terms of, of climate mitigation projects, perhaps we take renewables within that versus adaptation and resilience. Is it a case that 
you're able to get more capital into those renewable projects than perhaps into adaptation and resilience. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think there at the moment there are more obvious investable, um, scalable opportunities um, within you know the renewables um, and infrastructure space. Absolutely. Um, Equally, uh, there's an importance for new innovation within adaptation and resilience. And so that's why, you know, we're focused on both. We're focused on the large platforms like IANA um, that can achieve scale and especially in important markets like, like India. Um, but at the same time, you know, we need to be looking at the other end of the spectrum, which is seed capital for new innovations and technology that over time can support, you know, adaptation and resilience. Um, and so I think quite important to focus on both ends of, of the spectrum. When we think about renewables in the developed world, we think about big wind projects, offshore wind, floating wind, or huge solar projects. When you think about projects within developing markets, is it similar or do you have you know, more micro projects, if you like? I mean, we similarly, we do large wind. Um, we'll look at everything on the spectrum from off-grid up to you know very large uh, megawatt projects. So, you know, we, we are looking on the micro side of things um, and, you know, we're doing quite a bit in off-grid and, and um, trying to look at that end. But we're also doing, you know, large projects of scale um, that you would you would see in the developed markets. As a final question, Maria, from, from an impact side, what advice would you give and from your experience, what advice would you give to us in the, in the list of equities or even just broadly in the, in the commercial asset management side? As someone that's been in the impact space for a long time, I certainly see um, the the need and the power that investors have, um, you know, on the listed side and the capital market side, um, in order to 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 make this sector um, scalable and and really, you know, affect change. Um, I understand that the some of the major challenges and hurdles to making that happen are around reporting and monitoring. Um, I'm really hoping that we see some progress in evolution um, and I guess better coordination um, from all the key players in the space so that we can we can tackle this issue um, so that we really can start to see uh, you know more more capital coming from this space. In terms of you you've referred earlier to the IFC principles of impact investing, do you think they could be adapted to the listed world? No, I think they could be. I mean I I think that's what I'd like to see is 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 the community overall, you know, converging to a set of principles, right? And then figuring out how that can be integrated into to, you know, the different types of, uh, of capital and the different type of financial um, instruments that are out there. Um, it very well could be those. Um, but, you know, it'd be just nice to be to see a convergence, I think, to a set of principles um, that then can be, you know, sort of adopted. And finally, CDC Group, obviously, are in their new five-year strategic plan, but they're also changing their name. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's just been announced that we are officially changing our name to the British International Investment, um, which will take place in, in April of 22. Um, this name changing signifies the increased breadth of what the organization already does, but also highlights its role as part of the UK government's international financing offer. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. We've, we've so much to learn from impact investors like yourself and from CDC Group, the experience you've had how you think about impact, how you think about prioritizing um, the projects that you look at. Thank you so much.
Thank you, John. Really appreciate you inviting me. Uh, and it was, it was really nice to have the conversation.